Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Shackman. It's become a cliche, but almost everything we do has changed just to the past 10 years. From the way we drive, take pictures, communicate, shop, to the way we seek relationships. What hasn't changed is the fundamental underlying ideas of human relationships. Connecting, relating, and maybe even falling in love. The good news is that evolutionary biology is not subject to Moore's law. So how do we reconcile the two? How does Tinder or Match or Bumble sync up with our human needs, which haven't changed so much in thousands of years? Trying to tie all of these threads together is my guest, Joanna Coles, in her new book, Love Rules. Joanna Coles is the chief content officer for Hearst Magazines. She has been the editor-in-chief of Marie Claire and was the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan. It is my pleasure to welcome Joanna Coles here to talk about her new book, Love Rules, How to Find a Real Relationship in a Digital World. Joanna, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Jeff. A delight to have you here. There does seem to be this disconnect between kind of the rhythms of human behavior and the pace of relationships, not just historically, but even in, in a contemporary sense with the hyperspeed of the digital world today. And those two things seem to be in conflict in some respects. Talk about that. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And what's fascinating is how both digital has so many answers to so many pressing questions and yet raises a new set of problems uh, with its very solutions. And my book looks at our longing for connection and intimacy, which digital in theory provides with the goal of connecting everybody across the globe and yet uh, asks really what are the value of, of those connections? And a digital and, and I try to point out that a digital connection and a digital friendship is not the same or as valuable as a friendship in real life. And one of the wonderful things about our devices is they can connect us using dating apps to potential partners. Uh, but of course, the flip side is they can feel very interchangeable, make people feel disposable. This idea that you can tell whether or not you're going to like somebody just by their picture and, and swiping is of course nonsense and yet it's a numbers game if you do it enough you will eventually find people you can add to your life and it's a very interesting time what i learned from talking to hundreds of women for this book was really that in many ways their lives had improved especially at work where they felt able to advocate for more money or at least equal money um, but they felt their relationships hadn't caught up that this goal of having 50 50 relationships where men also helped out at home uh, they hadn't quite got there yet and so this book is really an exploration of that and reminding people that the most important thing you can do with people is spend time with them is do things together and to listen to each And it does seem that so much of of the unhappiness that's out there, the depression rates that we hear about so often, is as a result of these two things clashing, the the reality of of how long intimacy takes in, in real life versus what the digital world provides. Yes. One of the most fascinating things I learned was the inordinate amount of time that people would spend once they get a match 
um, in a sort of flirty text exchange uh, with someone they really don't know. And they think they are getting to know them, but of course they're not. And actually, I quote quite extensively Mary Aiken, probably the most interesting cyber psychologist writing at the moment, and really studying our behavior around our devices, which of course is very new. And what happens is people make these matches. Uh, They then get into the text exchange and literally people are spending weeks, if not sometimes months, communicating with someone purely by text, almost thinking they have a relationship with this person. And yet they've never even spoken to them on the phone, let alone, Jeff, met them in real life. And of course, if they do ever eventually meet them in real life, they often discover that the person they thought they were communicating with is completely different to the actual person. And the frustration and the disappointment and the crushed hopes that 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 then creates uh, is enormous. And so my advice to people, uh, because it's a very practical book in many ways, is get offline as soon as you can. And by that, I mean always have a telephone call before you agree to meet someone. And it's astonishing how many people skip that step as if somehow you can fast forward a relationship to a comfortable meeting, just the two of you in a bar or a restaurant somewhere, which is very difficult to do, jumping straight from offline. Um, And to engage all your senses. And of course, online, the only sense that's really engaged is your intellect as you go back and forth. And our tendency with a stranger online is to fill in the gaps by giving them positive attributes. That's just what human nature does when it's uh, communicating online. And in fact, it's the wrong thing to do here. You need to stay much more... uh, You really need all five senses in play to find out whether or not you actually find this person attractive, but don't waste the time online creating a persona for someone that may just be your fantasies. Of course, a couple of things come out of that. One, particularly for for millennials, for younger people today, the idea of telephone calls is is kind of so retro and anathema to most of them. First of all, they would rather yes, they would rather spray themselves in the face with a can of mace than pick up the phone. And yet, that is such a waste of time not to do it because on the phone you will get a sense of is this someone you can have a conversation with? And of course, that's the most important thing then pushing into meeting someone in real life. And it's astonishing to me that people don't value their time enough to do this preliminary step. And it's because people are frightened. Why are they frightened? Because having a conversation on the phone is awkward. People talk over each other. They can't hear each other. You might get cut off. Uh, You're not sure if someone said that ironically or uh, with a real sincere sense of humor. Um, But it's absolutely essential that we go through these stages of getting to know someone. You can't fast forward love. You can't microwave love. Every little transaction builds on itself. Um, And there is no shortcut to that. And our desperation to find one uh, is really does us no service. And, And I think one of the other things that now online allows us to believe is a good thing is when, we, uh, when we're on an app and we're being very straightforward about what we want, which is maybe to hook up with someone, the idea is now that you meet someone, you have sex with them, and then figure out whether or not you like them. 
and of course my point is it's very difficult to have good sex with someone if that's the goal you really would be you know it's much more preferable to figure out that you like someone ahead of time and then have sex with them having sex with someone is is complicated at the best of times having com having sex with a stranger is can be really difficult um and there's all sorts of, you know, suggestions that people are drinking much more because because of this, especially at college, um, which we don't have to get into here. But the idea that you can just do this stuff having having matched on an app is, I think, um, I, I don't think is leading to the happiness and the level of connection and intimacy that people thought it might do. But there is something built into the digital world that is inherently transactional. It reminds me of a story. I mean, I just heard this the other night. A woman that was, was going to some big event, and she talked about she went online. She ordered nine different dresses online, knowing she'd pick out one, return the others. I mean, there is something inherently transactional built into the idea of the digital world. And, and it seems to be filtering down into relationships as well. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And in fact, when people um, match or, or swipe or get a match, I liken it a little bit to virtual shopping that you, you know, I'm frequently for fun going on shopping apps. I pop the $6,000 Gucci jacket into my virtual basket. I don't purchase it. I go back the <laughs> next day, think, what was I thinking? Refuse to commit to purchase, remove the item, and then look for a pair of white jeans. And I think it's easy for people to feel that they are disposable in this um, sort of commoditized dating market. That said, it, it you know, if you're living in a small community and you're relying on your cousin to bring a new person to a party for you to extend your social circle, then they're fantastically useful. But I think one has to be really mindful of how to use them and to use them as a connecting tool, not to do the work of finding someone to fall in love with. You have to do that yourself. There is no shortcut. Um, and there are other ways to find love. You know, often it's hiding in plain sight. Often it could be the brother of your best friend who you've known since you were seven and suddenly you look at each other in a different way. It could be someone you've worked with in the office for a long time. Um, but I think there's a sort of tantalizing idea that apps make what can be difficult easy. And of course they don't. There's also the online personas that we create and the disconnect between that online persona and who we really are. And sometimes those two things clash once, once you finally meet. Yes, Mary Aitken, the cyber psychologist, points out that when you actually meet in real life, there are really four of you meeting. There's the two real life selves and then the two uh, cyber selves that you have created and curated and had time to prepare all those witty exchanges. And then it's often frequently very disappointing when you meet someone. And I can't tell you the number of people who said to me, oh, my goodness, you know, we had two or three weeks of really great text exchanges. I was so looking forward to meeting him or her. And then the minute they sat down, they leaned across the table and they said, look, I don't want to waste any more of your time. I think we can both tell this isn't going to work out, i.e. they didn't like what you looked like. Uh, let's not waste time having a drink. That was fun. Thanks. Bye. And off they go. And that's such a disappointing situation to find yourself in. But also you've invested three weeks of dreams in, uh, in your communication with this person who really wasn't who you thought they were which is, again, why it's important to pick up the phone. And even in a phone call, you will have a sense of, is this person worth my time? 
Talk about the time aspect of it, the idea of investing time, because you hear people talking about time they've wasted when oftentimes, you know, it, it's a gamble, sure, but they would have wasted more time if they were sitting home watching television. Well, I, I think the goal should always be to have a bigger life. And if you right. can invest time actually doing something with other people that gives you a sense of creating something bigger than the sum of, of your parts, you're never going to feel like you've wasted time. I think this idea of binge watching television and losing a whole evening, um, th there is a sense in which at least you've got a, a sense of accomplishment that you've followed an entire story. I think what, what, you, what you hear repeatedly from people is the number of people they, they swiped on who never swiped back or never matched back with them. Um, and the frustration of that and this sense of FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out, which we talk about a lot in terms of how people view each other's lives online and think that there is a whole world out there that they're somehow not participating in. And so I think it's incredibly important to make sure that in real life, outside of your working life, you have a big, engaged life. It might be doing voluntary work. It could be in a sports team. It could be singing in a choir. But that you have a big social life connecting with real people so that you don't feel that the majority of your life is spent wasting time. How is this different? What have you seen in terms of how this is different generationally? We've, we've been talking a little bit about younger people, millennials, but across the board, how is the reaction to this and the way people deal with this, men and women both, how is it different generationally? Well, I think a quarter of marriages now, Jeff, actually have started online which is very exciting. It's clearly a new way that people are meeting. And one of my favorite stories uh, from Bumble, actually, is about a couple that lived in the same building, never met each other. He would come out half an hour earlier than her in the morning and turn left. She would come out, turn right half an hour later. They never connected until they were matched on Bumble uh, and now happily uh, a good New York real estate story. They got rid of one of the apartments and they lived together. So they saved a lot on rent. Um, so I think the ability for apps to connect you with people that you might not have met otherwise is absolutely wonderful. And there's no question that it um, expands your social universe and the possibilities. Um, so it's very different in that way. But I do think how it changes generationally is this idea that you now have sex with someone to decide whether or not you like them, whereas you know, even 15 years ago, people were still getting to know each other with the goal of, if they liked them, then having sex with them as the next stage in the relationship. And I don't want to pretend that we've never lived in an era of hookups before. Of course we have. But as a standard way of getting to know people, um, that was not how it it actually worked. And now there is this idea that you could have a constant diet of hookups, which I think has turned out to be much less satisfying than people expected. Are people today finding, women especially, finding this whole process more fun or less fun in the digital world? It's a great question. And I think it to, for some people, it slightly depends how it ends up. Because if you find someone like this, then it all feels like it was worth it. If you're in the middle of it, it can feel like, oh, my goodness, this is a never ending Niagara Falls of, of potential dates, many of whom just don't 
materialize. I also think there's a lot of online uh, harassment, which is why Bumble became uh, such a runaway success for women because it allows women to make the first move. And what was happening on a lot of other sites was that people were being inundated with inappropriate photographs, very aggressive photographs, uh, which made them feel just like giving up on dating or giving up on men in particular. Uh, so I think it's a mixed bag. I think the idea of being able to connect with people that you wouldn't have known about is wonderful. I think people have to be careful of how they do it, mindful of the time they spend on it. And also not to assume that that's the only way you can meet people. And, and that does seem to be a key part of it, that people approach it as if this is what they're doing at any given time. Okay, we're going to do online dating apps as opposed to just using it as one more tool. Yes, and you want to be able to do all of it. It's a wonderful arrow in your quiver. It can't be the only arrow. And I do think that we have fallen for this idea of looking at other people's lives online and thinking they're much more glamorous than our own lives, that everybody's happy, we're the only person who isn't. Uh, as you probably saw, Britain just appointed its first loneliness minister. Right. And although these devices are wonderful in so many ways, and have promised to connect us, they can also isolate us and make us feel dissatisfied with our own lives and unrealistic about what everybody else is doing. And, you know, it's a cliche now to say, don't compare your insides with other people's outsides. Um, it's very hard not to do that. If you're feeling miserable, you reach for your device, you go down the rabbit hole of Instagram and see people's curated lives. It's hard not to feel dissatisfied with your own. I mean, it, it really is true in so many respects that the more connected we are in this way, the lonelier we are. Well, and I think it's one thing to connect people. Uh, it's another to get to know people. And I do think it's it's curious that Facebook talks about Facebook friends because friends, by the very nature of being a friend, it means you have to do things you don't always want to do. You should be able, you know, friendship consists of sharing uh, experiences with friends, of turning up when you don't always want to, when listening to someone when you don't have time is when you know that you can call someone who will listen to you when they don't have time and when you're being very boring or moany um, and you know friendships good friendships build over time you're in each other's wedding parties you know you go to each other's friends memorial for their parents the, these kind of things which of course an online digital friendship that there's no comparison with what that involves now if you're growing up in a rural community and you're gay and you want to meet other people and you feel isolated being able to connect with people online is fantastic and i'm not saying it's not of value but don't let's compare it to an actual relationship with a history of time spent because there is no comparison part of it is that the friendship and relationships are a set of skills being involved with them or a set of skills one has to learn and somehow the digital world makes it seem like it should be instantaneous as opposed to something that does need to be learned over time i think that's right and the longer you spend on a digital device and also the earlier in your life you get one. So we see this with kids who are being given iPads or iPhones from sort of two or three because parents are so busy 
and it's a wonderful device for keeping kids quiet. Um, their ability to empathize changes. The neural pathways change and empathy is something that develops through experience playing as a child with other kids. It's about eye contact. It's about learning to share. It's about how you learn when it's appropriate for you to talk and when it's appropriate for you to listen. And none of that is in play when you're on a device. Uh, and we lose the skill set of doing that. And to your earlier point that millennials don't want to pick up the phone, they've lost or they've never had the ability to pick up the phone. And there isn't a boss in, in America who hasn't said to one of their millennial staff, I can't believe you didn't pick up the phone. I can't believe you didn't go and talk to him. He's in two cubicles down and you sent an email. And the email makes it much easier for you to not say, or, or it makes it much easier for you to not face in person the consequences of what you're saying, which is what we see with, uh, you know, uh, anonymous trolling on Twitter, that if people don't have to stand in front of someone and say something mean, uh, and they can do it anonymously online, unfortunately, a lot of people will. Much harder to do when you've got the person in front of you. So does it get better or worse going forward? Do we, do we hit bottom in this somehow, or, or will some of this change over time? I think we're in a new moment of understanding our digital behavior, and I think of it as a sort of our first experiment with having our phones with us at all time um, is now over, and we're beginning to understand the downside of them. We've lived through the elation and the initial euphoria of all the frictionless things that our devices are able to, to help us with, and now we're beginning to understand that our children don't want to have dinner with us. They'd rather sit and watch, uh, you know, The Office on Netflix. Uh, that when you're talking to someone, they're often flicking their eyes at their phone and not really engaged with you. And we have to take control of this and we have to have bigger conversations about how it's impacting our behavior. You already have people like Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, saying he won't let his uh, nephew on social media. You have a lot of people out in Silicon Valley where these devices are being honed at all times. Um, to make us spend as much time as we possibly can saying, well, you wouldn't catch their children on them. So I think there's a new understanding of addictive behaviors around it because we have enough time now to realize that uh, not everything that comes out of the, our tech world is going to help us. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out with the next, not the millennials, but the generation after. Yes, and I think you are seeing among some of them uh, a bit of resistance and they're seeing their brothers and sisters addicted to social media. They're seeing them unable to put their phone down, the kind of twitching fingers, and they're beginning to say, you know, I want a digital uh, free hour. Uh, you see people beginning to now put timers on their phone and say, I'm going to be online for half an hour, then I'm going to have a half hour break. And I think there is a moment of panic we all feel when we switch our phone off and we are momentarily um, panicked at the disconnection we feel. But if you can push past that, if you can go cold turkey <laughs> for 90 seconds to two minutes, you can come out the other side and then, you know, decide you want to cook something in the kitchen or you actually want to read a book or a magazine 
and actually have that restorative moment where your concentration span isn't constantly interrupted by notifications and the promise of a more interesting message coming in. It's always that promise. It's always that hope. It's always that hope. And then it's the little flash of dopamine in your brain that makes you feel excited by it. And I think we're beginning to learn that we can't live by device alone. Joanna Coles, her book is Love Rules, How to Find a Real Relationship in a Digital World. Joanna, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh, my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you very much. Thank you.